Welcome to below sea level. You are now officially in the bottom of the toilet. <laughs> As for all you folks up north who are flushing, just remember it's coming down here. <laughs> it's, it ends up in New Orleans. This right. is the bottom of the toilet bowl. <laughs> I live in Jersey, so it's a similar similar experience. But I don't it's even the think upper rim. It's the upper rim. It's more like an outhouse, you know. No, it's cool. It's cool where I live. Just don't uh, pee on a toilet seat. Exactly. I try to tell my kids. That's that. the problem with Jersey. Everybody peeing on a toilet seat. <laughs> you motherfuckers wouldn't do that. It would be a lot nicer down here. Exactly. I go up. May I go up? I'll go up north. I, I haven't been up there in a while, but I used to, I just used to substitute work on the river boats, those paddle boats. Yeah, yeah. And it, there's a couple of companies that go up. One goes up, well, the same company, but one of their boats goes as far as St. Louis. And it's a big ass really? paddle wheel boat. Yeah, the, uh, that one was called uh, Mississippi Queen. And the other boat that the company I've been had, on that Mississippi Queen. Yeah? yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I used to live on that, bro. What? I was I, I would I would do the sub work for the drummers who, who so I gotta get off this motherfucker, Johnny. Come take my game for to play Johnny. Johnny. <laughs> so they so you would do do a week week. I would split. I would take the, I would, yeah I would do like a couple oh. of weeks. One time I did. Two or three times, maybe I did a six-week tour where it was a special event, you know. Uh-huh. But you got to live on those fucking boats. You got to eat on those boats. Yeah, man. It might stop once a day. You can get off for a little while, but basically. And you're just dealing with it. It's just old school. I mean, that's what Louis Armstrong yeah, and those was, guys did, that, too, that right? Yeah, that was all old school stuff. Yeah. And it was... Uh, uh, some a lot of big band stuff. I got hired for the big band stuff, especially when it would be at, like a build uh, a big band, and they would uh, feature their music. Uh, somebody like uh, uh, one of the good ones, Les Elgard. Les Elgard had a big band back in the forties. Oh, okay. And uh, but I, the, uh, 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 one of the cats uh, had the book. Had had his book, his uh-huh. full, the full you know five saxes, four bones, five trumpets, piano, bass, drums, singer, and all of that. And he had the book, so he had all the music, you know. So uh, one of the tours was that, you know. Was on the riverboat? Yeah. Oh, man. You know. So, but you're going, yeah, St. Louis. That must have been cool, though, you know. It was cool. Uh, The riverboats were kind of boring because the average age, I would say, would be between... 69 and 89 so that meant by 9 30 these people were falling asleep so that's when you go to the back of the book and you start pulling out the good charts right you know? right one night we set a chart on fire because we didn't like it oh really everybody pull out cigarette lighters and right on the bandstand we lit it up <laughs> and the band is don't worry i'll write the guy another chart that stinks that's hilarious this arrangement stinks. Oh, i'll write a new arrangement on this that's chart. awesome man. Yeah. One night we threw the spotlight over the overboard. Oh, really? You know, big long tubular spotlight. Yeah, yeah. Because you have to do shows too, you know. So this guy in the back of the room, you know, like the light man. Right. Blinding you. You know how good you got to be to get a gig exactly. as a light man on, on the Mississippi Queen. <laughs> anyway, you know, so Dugan, the van later, he said, after we had we had to do this show where I had cues, you know, when the guy would get to this when he was saying some shit, yeah. before he do, do, do jump, let hey, boom, on the downbeat, you know. Then uh 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 uh, uh you know he he he, he and, and, and a guy with the spotlight and, and Dugan the band leader would be facing the band and the guys who were in front of him facing the audience and and and, and, and Dugan would be looking 
at the, at the, at reading the dialogue of the joke so they could come in with the downbeat for the, for the band to play the punch and uh, uh, every time Dugan turned his head to look at the side to do, to do this the guy with the spotlight would put the spotlight on Dugan <laughs> so Dugan says after the show he tells the guy he says look don't point the spotlight at me I'm conducting a band I can't see I can't see the dialogue in, in the music yeah, when yeah. you point it in my eyes like that. Plus, I'm not the show. The two guys putting on the show right. up front of the show. Right. Keep the spotlight on them. Yeah, yeah. Well, the guy fucked up. So Dugan. He had a few Ten scotches later, Johnny V by twenty Budweisers later, <laughs> and whatever uh, artificial ingredients I could uh, digest and uh uh he says, fellas, come on. Went up to the showroom, grabbed the spotlight, walked out on the deck, douche, Mississippi River. <laughs> Big ass spotlight. Took wow. like four of us to pick oh, it up. Oh, man. Big tubular fucking spotlight. Wow. It's crazy. That boat yeah. was nuts. I bet that thing sunk to All the bottom. All my clothes quickly. smelled like diesel fuel when my room was below, right. below well, oh, next to the engine. Man, that's so bad. That's so bad. But, I mean, that's what those guys did, all the New Orleans musicians, back to the 20s. You know, the stories about them up and getting off in Davenport, Iowa, and changing the entire culture of the town, you know. But, um, yeah, imagine that. Yeah. That got old fast. Now people would kill for a gig like that. Oh, yeah. Sign of the time. Sign of the time. Yeah, now they got all kinds of rules and regulations. Right? Yeah, totally, man. Absolutely. Um, so tell me... One time you told me, you know, just the stories about when you were growing up in New Orleans, when you were a kid, you tell me about, you know, how you, you were so good at math when you were young. And um, so you could tell your mom when you were playing these gigs. You told me one time you were young, that you were in high school, you got a gig at a strip club. Mm -hmm. And you told your mom, well, yeah, I'm going to study math at my, right, my right. friend's algebra, house. Algebra. 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 Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> math was not that great in but algebra I was a genius in mm, yeah. mm. I can totally see that yeah, I can totally see that difference between math and algebra but uh, algebra I was a genius in so that, that was no problem uh, yeah so I tell my mom that I was going to study some algebra and I'd be out late and uh, of course my mom my stepdad my stepdad was, was, a, gang was a gangster so he knew all oh, the guys really? that ran all the clubs in Bourbon Street he knew all the people he knew everything about <laughs> the French Quarter you know because he, he gambled down there He's, he was in the fruit and produce business down there and all of that kind now, of stuff. Now, was his name Vodakovich? No, his no. name was Abadie. Him, okay, yeah, Abadie. Was his stepfather. He was a okay, crazy gotcha, motherfucker. Gotcha. I loved this bastard. He was crazy. So uh, 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 he took me into these these gambling joints that right now in the French market, you know, you, you see these buildings and it looks like downstairs is maybe all fruits and vegetables, but yeah. upstairs through the back walkway, you go up there and be closed off, dark, maybe four or five tables with the guys with the green visors, really? cards, and all along the walls like that yeah. they would have these walkways you know you know uh and they would have a guy up there with, with a white shirt and a little black visor and a chalkboard and horse races from all over the country and telephones everywhere it must right. have 50 room 50 wow. telephones room. and so they were so this is the 60s 70s 50s 50s wow yeah man i'll never forget that guy 
I'll never forget that shit, man. Wow. He took me in some backdoor gambling places. Really? Yeah, yeah some mob places. So tell me about that time when you, you said you told your mom, I always remember the story because I think it's fantastic, where you told your mom, oh, you know, I'm studying algebra, but you were at a strip club, and yeah. they knew, and then they, so what, what happened? They came So to- anyway, okay, yeah, so my dad knew all these people, and my stepdad knew all these people, anyway, so, uh, you know, I, I, she said, okay, so, you know, I go downtown, you know, around, around 9, 10, 30 at night, uh-huh. you know, and, uh, uh, do my do my strip do do my little gig with the band play a few numbers five six seven strippers come out do that bit they all go back do the same thing over again do that two or three times a night right and uh um, 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 so uh, uh i uh one night i'm playing in the strip club and uh I'm, you know this has been going on for several months several months i have been going on and so, man, I'm sitting in the strip, and it was a long, skinny bar, uh-huh. and, and and all the booze was right below us, and the bartender was right, we were like up behind the bar, like gotcha. that, you know. Gotcha. So they had the bar like that, and a bunch of tables like that, and the stripper could come. Right, it was a skinny kind of stage. She's kind of stripped right next to me almost, uh-huh. you know, because the band was lined <laughs> up and it's face over here, so she would walk over his and do her stripping. So, needless to say, I got a lot of nipples in my ear. <laughs> you, know, you know, a lot of, wa- they would wave, to, you know, hit, hit me with their clothes and shit because I'm this little boy drummer, you know, this <laughs> 16-year-old fucking drummer. Uh, and, 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 and so, uh, I'm playing, I'm playing, you know, I'm playing, I'm stripping, and we're playing some music. And, and, and I look, and I can see the, the, the door and the bars in front of me. In walks the door, my mom and my stepdad. I go, oh, <laughs> oh man, I've been lying like a fucking criminal. You know, I'm doing everything I'm not supposed to be doing. My dad, my stepdad, he hasn't really hit me yet, but I think this is the time because he was he was he was also very gruff, yeah, gruff, gruff kind of guy, but very beautiful. Uh, so, yeah, uh, uh, so they sit at the bar, and I'm still playing, you know, because what break time, and the strippers are coming out. We're playing all those songs, and I'm on my death, and you know, like that, you know, real you know, fucking nervous, and saying, "I hope we never take a break," you know, uh, snare drum, uh, and uh, tom tom, and uh, <laughs> it could be a bass drum. That's another story too. Lampshades. Oh, lampshades. First drums. Those were the first drums. Oh yeah, drums. yeah, yeah. Because they had the moles. The lamp, the drum companies didn't have the moles. Wow. So they farmed it out to, le- to, to lamp companies to make the shells. Oh wow. That's why drums are the sizes they are. It's not. Is they, that right? They don't have anything to do with physics or science. Really? Yes. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. What a trip. Yeah. They use that as a mold. Yeah, and then they send it back to the, to the drum company, and the drum company just sticks the stuff on it. Wow. Yeah, that's the way it used to be made. I don't know, I don't know if they got their own molds now. I yeah, think they probably they do. do. They, they do, make they, an yeah, they do everything on a computer now. Yeah. yeah. Totally. So anyway, so they walk in the door, and uh, and I keep playing for it's long you know long time you know they had a couple of drinks my dad smiled bought nose the bartender you know they shook hands and all that and everything smiled everybody's all smiles he knew the guy that owned the bar you know he went back and talked to him in the yeah. back room for a while you know uh, uh all gangsters you know yeah yeah and so uh uh uh, uh, uh 
they smile, they wave, I wave at us, and see, uh, they left before we could take a break, you know. Yeah, it was a long yeah, set, you know. Yeah. And uh, 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 I said, man, shit. So I walk, the break comes, and I walk off the bandstand. And, <clears throat> and you walk off the bandstand, and you're still behind the bar. So the bartender's right there. So, uh, you know, uh, bartender walks up to me. Yeah, no, no words said. And he says, "Here's this paper bag. It was a paper bag. You know, and, uh -huh. and you, you, your mother said to make sure you eat this. <laughs> she left you dinner. Yeah. That's beautiful. It's probably sandwiches. That's great, man. That is good. That is good parenting, right there. Well, he knew all of those guys. And said, yeah, like, yeah, That's yeah. my stupid fucking stepson. There. Exactly. Keep, keep him out of trouble. Exactly. Let me know exactly. what he's doing. Exactly. Yeah. That's beautiful, though, yeah. man. That is. That's a great story. So it worked out all right. That's great. That's fantastic. So I started working the street shit. Sixteen. 17 years old, I was working the street all night long. Really? Going to school during the day, high school. Graduated with high school. It was the highest grade in New Orleans in algebra. Right on. I was on honor roll, but the rest of my subject sucked, but the only thing I could really do was <laughs> honor roll. I could only play play drums and, 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 and algebra. And that do was algebra. Well, you'd be, yeah. if, it, if it was today, you would probably be able to play drums and, yeah, and just, program computers. So you, I forgot be, all my formulas. <laughs> Yeah. Oh well. They're, well, the thing is, they're all different now. My son comes home with algebra homework, and yeah, it's I don't like, understand it. You can't figure it out, and he got a bad grade because they changed how they wanted them to show the algebra from one year to the right. next. It's like, well, why are Left you doing out that a to whole these lot kids? Of steps. Yeah, exactly. Why are you doing that to these kids? They want to, you know. And uh, it's we even got him a tutor, and she's an expert. She came over. She's like, yeah, they change this way too often. Mm. She's just PEMDAS, PEMDAS, just stick with that and everything will be okay, mm. you know. But talk about, if you don't mind, like, during that early time, like, some of the guys that you played with and, you know, I know you and James Black were contemporaries and you played with um, James Booker a lot. I mean, you pl obviously you played with everyone and, you know, it was just, that was, your, this is your scene, this is, you know, and Herman Ernest, all those great drummers, you know, from from back then, because you and Herman, Herman came up around the same time, right? Uh, he's a lot younger than me. He oh, he died. Is. He died. He died a lot, a lot, lot, way too young. Yes, I'm, he did. Yes, he uh, did. He died in his fifties, man. Yeah. And uh, I, I'm gonna be sixty-six this year, but wow. uh, I, 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 st I started talking and meeting Hermes right, right, right around, right around the time he, I guess, he got out of high school. And he was making gigs, and uh, I think was he playing with Chocolate Milk? Um, was the name of the band? I can't remember, but it was a very good band, a very good band. But we became friends, and uh, you know, he, you know, he he really liked to talk a lot and joke, so he he was fun to hang out. Yeah, with, I mean, man. we met him a in the street. The fun to play. He talked music with him too, you mm. know, and then mm. he he can talk music, you know. Well, we you know he's he not did. he's not a fool. He's no, we we met him years ago when I was on tour with my quartet in the mid '90s when we met you, and you had that record, uh, Mystery Street. Uh -huh. which we got from you at your gig and that became a big record for us we listened to that constantly in the wow. van that record was a big deal for us we we totally turned turned our ears out you know mm -hmm. 
But um, Scott had seen Herman Ernest play, I think, with Dr. John mm-hmm. um, yeah, at a jazz festival, and he, he was just like, man, because we were young, you know, I mean, we knew music, but we were in our mid-twenties, we didn't know uh-huh. everything, you know, uh-huh. he says, you, you got to hear this drummer, man, this guy, Herman Ernest, man, it's just like, they're playing simple music, but it's just so deep the way he plays, yeah. and it's just so deep, you know. And so we live, we're like, oh man, it's bad. And of course, we come to New Orleans, we're playing a gig at Snug, and we walk down the street and we run into Herman Ernest. And we're just like starstruck, but he can't understand. Because, you know, we're kids in our 20s. But you know? he's joking his ass off. Right? Oh, he would. He hung with us for like an hour. Yeah, well, he just a, laid it out for us. All the information, he laid it all he's out. He's a wonderful man. joker, man. Yeah, yeah. He loves yeah. to talk, he loves to sit, he loves to laugh. Yeah. That was great. I really miss Herman. Yeah. He was much younger than me, and I really miss mm, him because mm. uh, he he uh, he could understand a lot more than the average drummer. Herman mm-hmm. was way more a musician than a drummer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, as a drummer, he was here. As a musician, he was, he was here. High, high up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This, this whole drum shit doesn't impress me anymore. Right, right. I quickly got out of that room as fast as I could because I know I'd never be a great drummer. <laughs> I, I had, That's I had hilarious no, I had a better chance at becoming a great musician. Right, which I, you I, are. I knew. I, I said, man, there's no way I'm gonna be a great drummer. Right. You know, these right. fucking cats are nuts. Right. These right. fucking drummer guys are nuts with all of this fucking super sticking and all yeah. this. Shit. So, you know, I'm way more into like you know, T for two. Tell a story. <laughs> yeah, it's about the narrative, obviously. I, you know. I like the music and the people dancing, and whether they're dancing on the inside listening to you play, or whether they're dancing on the outside jumping around, it's still the same dance. That's deep. A lot of people don't, don't perceive it the way I perceive it, mm. and I perceive it that the inner dance is, is just as joyous as the external mm-hmm. dance. You know, like mm-hmm. people playing a band playing for dancers. And then you got a, uh, and then the opposite would be like an orchestra playing for people sitting in a quiet seat. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, w- you know when I go to the symphony, I, I like to look at the program and see what they're going to play. And I can guarantee you that if it's Shostakovich, uh, 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 Prokofiev, or Beethoven, and there's a whole bunch of other ones. You know, that's just to name to name to name mm-hmm. the, cliche, the cliche names. But there's a whole bunch of other composers. That I sit there and I'll be sitting in my seat, really into the music, and I'm literally dancing, mm-hmm. you know, inside mm-hmm. on the inside. Yeah, yeah. And, and another thing that happens to me with music uh, uh, is that the dance on the inside can come become over like a pastel painting with moods, you know. If you like the uh, I think it's Mahler's Third Symphony, uh, uh, and, and the last movement is very complicated. But it's so much going through my mind and mm-hmm. in my ears that it, it's like it's like a moving picture. Yeah. You know, an abstract. It's like if you were to paint to paint that picture that which is cool because I, I mean, and but then imagine it just moving around. Sure. You know, and it would be like that. You know, I mean, that kind of a dance. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. You know. And I, and I really see that there's a big, strong connection between music and dance. Uh, Africans, what the guys play on drums is mostly dictated by what the dancers absolutely, are doing. Absolutely, absolutely. And if they have to read the body mm-hmm, language of the dancers, mm-hmm. and if the, if the dancer don't look like he's in a good mood, you're to blame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> it's your fault. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I saw, you know, that Los Muñequitos de Matanzas from mm -hmm. Cuba. You know, I'd been listening to that music when I was in my 20s trying to figure it out. I'm just like, quote unquote, trying to figure it out, right? Which, right. That makes no sense. Yeah, it's kind of but, not the right you direction. Know, exactly, not the right direction. I was just, I was like, but I, the one and the So I went to see him live with the dancers, which I'd never seen before. And then, bing, the light bulb went off in my head and everything clicked into place. It's like, okay, I get it. I get what this means now. You know, I get how this works. So, yeah, that's you're you're totally right. Yeah. You're totally right about that. But you know what um when you were playing on that stuff, you also like played in James Black's band, right? When yeah, he played he, piano. He, he had right? a trio and a singer. Right. He played he played Fender piano, he played Rhodes, I played drums and a guy named Chris Severin played bass. Mm -hmm. The singer was Angel Trotskler. She sang some of her songs and some of his songs because mm -hmm. he wrote a lot. Right, right. Yeah, so, and we also made a, a few gigs together. We we recorded some stuff uh but I don't think it was ever released. It's probably mm, sitting mm. In, 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 on some tape somewhere if the tape still is. <laughs> Boy, I'd love to hear that. Yeah. Man, I'd love to hear that. But also talk about like if you don't mind like um, you know you met, when you met Jimmy Singleton and you guys have been playing together you for so many years and played with James Booker all those years you know um, I just remember being in a van with you and just hearing all these fantastic yeah. stories you know? I think I started playing with Booker in a, in a, in a, in the early mid seventies uh -huh. you know uh, it, it was nothing steady. You know, except for one night a week, uh, he had a steady gig, but he was used different people. A lot of times he used me. It was a place called Lou and Charlie's, and he would it'd be just piano and drums and conga drums. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's a cool. And cool uh, uh, I did that. I did that gig for a while with him, and then he had a couple of you know one-offs here and there that he would call me for. He called lots of different people. I wouldn't be the only mm -hmm. drummer. Mm -hmm. That'd be whoever was available, you know, uh, and and then we then we then we got us a steady gig at the Maple Leaf that lasted a real long time, mm. you know, until he, until he died, uh, and uh, that. But we had been ha playing gigs with Booker at other places also. Me, Singleton, Red Tyler played saxophone, and Booker played piano. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and that 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 was what, the way his last. Recording went mm -hmm. down. Classified was his last recording. They put out some records after that, but those are just some bootleg records, mm -hmm. you know. And uh, I, I'm 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 not sure who p played drums on those, or you know where I, where it was at, you know. Right at that point, yeah. a lot of his stuff was pickup stuff, you know. Uh, Booker was cool though. Uh, Booker, because uh, B Booker's music had a lot of uh, dynamics in it. It had a lot of uh, uh, harmonic uh, movement, mm -hmm. you know, and, and melodically, he, 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 that was no problem. Mm -hmm. you, know, you know, he was totally melodic and linear at the same time. Mm -hmm. He was melodic and linear and harmonically, rhythmically strong at the same time, you know. So he was, yeah. he was playing both vertical and horizontal, mm -hmm. harmonic and melodic, you know, I mean, he really had that completeness in him. Yeah, he you know? did, for sure. That's one of the things that Doug about Booker. I learned how to breathe a lot with Booker, 
Oh, how do you mean? Uh, he, his phrasing, not only the way he sang, was was interesting, you know, to take those breaths, and I, I sort of taught me the same approach to playing drums. Not that you would stop and take a breath, but I mean to just with your phrase ideas. with whatever the music was, you know? Yeah. And I was already good at playing jazz, so you could kind of read guys, you could read their body language a lot. You know, you could watch a horn play, if you, mm -hmm. if, you know, you could really see how he was breathing, and then you would be, be able to detect when he was sort of coming out of a solo and mm -hmm. coming in, what I call coming in for a land mm -hmm. and let the guy, next guy play. A lot of guys don't know how to do that. They just play up until the very next one and they stop. <laughs> How the fuck I bring the plane down, right? You had three choruses and you get out. You're gonna end there? Man, bring the fucking plane down for landing, bro. Exactly, you no know, bring the, the, what's the next guy to do? Walk up to the mic after you go, <laughs> you go Great. <laughs> you know, and you know, you gotta you gotta you gotta play in a whole yeah, band. Yeah. It's not all about you. So I I I I learned a lot about breathing, phrasing linear rhythm, mm. melodic rhythm is what I call it. Yeah. I learned all that from horn players and, and singers, you know, yeah. and the way Booker played piano was very, it was almost like the piano had a mouthpiece. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He, even though there's a lot of vertical stuff going down mm -hmm. in, in, in the music, you know, even though that was going down, Booker had a way of capsulizing that into a phrase to make it sound more yeah. Linear. I mean, and that's the thing when you listen to his music, you definitely, uh, it, on the surface, if that's all you're able to hear, then you're like, oh, wow, this is some really great New Orleans music. This guy's really playing the piano in the style of, you know, put your name here yeah. when singing it. But, but if you actually really listen more and more and more, there's all these deeper levels yep. of composition yep. going on in yep. the music, music, which is but what was very deep. Yeah. And which is what a lot of people say about you as well. And I, and I agree is, is you, you know, it's really hard to find, I think, drummers who like our musicians that can really groove but also have those other levels going on and you know when when whatever whenever we, you know I'm with mu other musicians and we talk about you they always say oh yeah he's got that poetic thing you know which means and you also do write poetry as well but and I think for what you're hitting on with this whole thing about talking about breathing and phrasing and all that is I mean it's definitely obvious in how you play that that you know I don't know if you got it from Booker but obviously a, a large part of what you play is if you just take it if you just take it on uh, face value on surface value you're like oh wow that's a great New Orleans slash jazz drummer but if if you take the next steps you need to actually listen to what's going on, that's just the bare, barely the top level of what's happening when you play music. Does that seem right to you? Seem right? To yeah, to you? yeah. I, th I think it's really right because with, with drums it's really hard to get that across the musical feeling because drums sound ponderous and they have no notes. Mm -hmm. So the drummer has to somewhat play the song and make the people and the musicians he's playing with 
think they hear, hear him playing the song, even though he has no notes. I can't mm -hmm. play no chords, I can't play any melody. Mm -hmm. So I have to have intention. And I find really by sort of letting the song inside of me and capsulizing the song, and of course at the moment with the guy, the way the guys are with are playing it at that second, to capsulize all of that and, and get into that breath. Mm -hmm. You know, even though I don't care if it's Happy Birthday or Stella by Starlight or, or whatever, you know, you have to breathe with them. I, I mean, and I don't mean stop playing. I'm just mean your phrases mm -hmm. have. Even though you play, might be playing straight ass rock time, you still have to have breathing in, on a musical level. You know, absolutely. To where to where the song is entered you, and you're playing the song, and you're humming, and the song is in your diaphragm, and it's in your throat, and then it's part, and then it becomes part of your hands, and then into the drums. You know, I don't perceive so much that that's the drums, and now I'm going to sit down and impose myself on them and play them. Mm, mm. I'd rather sit down behind the drums and say, okay, what's the music? Let that music sink into me, and then just, you know, don't really think about what I'm hitting, because if, if I'm hitting the right, if, if I'm hitting the music, then it don't make a difference what I hit, because mm. I can't hit any wrong notes, because I don't have any wrong notes. Right. Right. So, uh, so my intention would be to spit out the melodic rhythm, variations on the melodic rhythm, mm. you know, and, and, and so forth, you know, yeah. uh, up, up and down uh, curves and use, and use as much uh, lyrical quality as I can possibly put into a rhythmic perspective. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, like I say, like I, I like to tell cats, imagine the drum set has a mouth piece and you got to blow air into it. Mm. You mm. know? Yeah, that's a great analogy. That's a great analogy. Uh, I was, and also, it's I say, like, before you sit down and play the song with the drums, stand right next to them with your drums in your hand and your body dancing and sing the song. Mm. You know? And you jump down right behind the drums and play that and keep your mouth open. It don't make a difference what you hit. You're not going to hit no wrong notes because you ain't got no notes. Yeah. You know? But you got if you can keep that dance inside of you and, and just keep behind the drums, you know, and trust what you've been practicing all your life mm, that your hands mm. will and, and your feet will will play something good because you've been practicing. If yeah. you think too much about what you're playing when you play, if you think too much about playing drums when you sit down in a band, then you're going to sound like a drummer. Mm, you know, so mm. the first thing to do is to be able to play time and keep up with the beat while you're listening to the whole band because mm. your job as a drummer is to sort of police the music. Mm. At least keep everybody on the same planet, the same beat, like that. Yeah. You know? Each beat goes like that, as opposed to like that. Right. More, more 
linear and, and you can play on the top of the beat, you can play on the bottom mm -hmm. of the beat, from the middle of the beat. Many different reasons why you would do that, you know. If I was playing with a ba bass player who likes to lay low and play on the back dark side of the of of the ball, mm -hmm. the planet, yeah. then I that gives me an opportunity to go up on top and push stuff around. Got Maybe it. I, I add some aggravation, you know. Yeah, you know, you know <laughs> add, some, add some aggravation. To, sure, to, you know, sure. you know, if, if if that's what I think the uh, soloist wants to be kicked around a little bit. Yeah, and if he does, and if you're playing with a bass player that plays way on top of the beat, then you got to be careful not to jump on top of him because mm -hmm. that. That's a recipe. Yeah, that's a recipe for a disaster. Yeah, the train. Get so away. when I'm playing, if I feel like I'm playing with a, play, a bass player that plays on top of the beat, then I'll go way lay back on a low part of the beat. Mm -hmm. It just expands the beat. Right. Which, it, but when two people are playing together, it gets like that. Mm. It goes from a guy flat with a good to being an orb, and you can have a guy with a good beat. But these two beats have to come together. They, have, they, they don't have to be great musicians. They just have to be great listeners and empathetic people. Mm. And when that, when the two beats start coming together, then that swells open, and it's more more. Uh, it, it's scientifically more. The, the energy of that of those two beats coming together, and the, the the physics of it, the the sound waves will automatically pull in the other musicians into the sphere, and then you mm -hmm. got yourself a groove in a band. Yeah, and you that's know? and and you really hit on it because folks can't see what you're doing, but when you said you know one person has this beat, another person has a good beat, your hands were flat and apart. When you put them together. Then you touch your fingertips and thumb tips and expanded them to be like a globe, right. and that's to be. And I think that's a great analogy because nowadays, you know, we spent so much time um, with computer music and dealing with um, not only things being tuned perfect, perfectly, quote unquote. There's really no such thing, you know. Like I was talking with Stephen Bernstein, and um, and I'm like, yeah, man, you know, I I just. You know, I, I really wish my intonation, I got to play intonation better on the guitar, my instrument. Guitar is one hard instrument to really play in tune. And he goes, he goes, well, at least you're not a piano. That's the most out-of-tune instrument ever. <laughs> and I was like, wow. And what he was saying was that, that it's just artificially in tune. He goes, when I'm playing first trumpet, someone's playing second trumpet, and we play a major third, we know how that major third is supposed to sound. And it's not going to sound the same as the major third on the piano. So that messes us up. And if you take all that stuff and you start to computerize it, it gets all flat. And the same thing happens with time and rhythm and feel. So why if you have something like, you know, Earl Palmer, um, or you have Elvin Jones playing with Coltrane, who was always, I felt, ahead of the beat, and Elvin Jones was always a bit able to push the beat from behind. Right. And it created this incredible tension and release and feel, right. and it was just so compelling. The narrative was so compelling. And what you're saying, I really feel, is true. I mean, if you listen to not just all those old classic jazz records, you, you listen to um, those, you listen to like Motown records, soul records, um, blues records, you know, you think about those guys in Chicago with that guy Fred Below playing those great shuffles, you know. It was never, like you said, his beat. It's him. It's it's his narrative. And when you when you start to play that way, and and there's give and take, and there's a discussion. You have all this richness of these subplots and subtopics that are happening beneath the main topic. Yes. And I think for guys, I mean, I'm I'm in my late forties. I think for me, a little bit for the guys younger, like ten years younger. Their lives are really dominated with this expect, expectation that they play, quote unquote, perfect time. 
meaning they make the metronome disappear. Listen, we can do that. If you want or I want, you know, it's a skill to have and it's a good skill to have, but it's only as a matter of, it, you, you do that as a matter of, of, of uh, you know, having a, um, an example. So that you know, well, I'm going to make the metronome disappear now. But you also need to know, like what you're saying, is like, let's experience what other people are thinking. Like, I'm from the Bay Area. Our natural rhythm is a funk rhythm that involves 16th notes. It's straight, and it's always ahead of the beat and hype. And if it's not a little faster by the end of the tune, you've fucked it up. Something's wrong. And no one likes it. You know what I mean? A lot of New Orleans people, they play a little bit behind, and you, you anticipate that big four and all that as a feel. So I remember when I first started playing with more New Orleans musicians, I just felt like, man, I feel like I'm like a like a, on on methadrine or something because I'm like must these guys must hate it, and and I would try to always try to be playing a little farther back behind the beat. Uh -huh. People are like, what are you doing, man? Just do your thing, yeah, do your thing, you know. But because people, those really good musicians who really have their minds and their hearts open are gonna find what your natural beat is yeah. and try to find a way yeah. so that both of your natural beats can work together and yes. create something beautiful that otherwise would not be created, you know? And otherwise, you just have this real kind of, uh, I guess, what do you call that, melismatic, when it just is the same thing over and over again? Yeah. You just have that and, and yeah. it goes on and on and there's no, yeah. there's no intrigue. No. There's no possibility no. of excitement or or a surprise happening, right? right? There's a rise and rise and rise and low and blood pressure. There's no, uh, it's a little bit of a lack of emotion, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. a little coldness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. I remember someone saying, you know, there's a some record. Uh, I think it was like one of those old Miles things with Philly Joe Jones, where you know they start off, but it, like it was like a live thing. By the end of the tune, I mean, it's six, seven minutes later, but it was just, it was a ramp, and it was beautiful, and it was just one of those things where it was just like, okay, you know, wow, that's that that is that's cool. Those guys are professionals, and you can do that, you know. I mean, but then there's a there's that I guess you know there's that point in between where you're getting excited about the music and you're really present, and so it's speeding up a little bit, right? There's that, what the professionals do. Right. And then there's frantic, which is what the amateurs do. Yes. And frantic is different yes, than yes. exciting. Yes, not You're not finished learning. Yeah. <laughs> the average, you're not finished learning. Right. We're glad right. that you got frantic, but yeah, yeah. it means you got emotion. So that's Ex good. That's exactly. a good song. Yeah. Exactly. But you still have to, yeah, drummers do have to be careful that they can, I think, that they can move a little bit with the feeling mm -hmm. of the music, but it's got to be with the feeling of the music, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Not because they're playing the same beat and it's getting easier and they're speeding it up or something like right. that. See, right. you know, that, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I, I think what we're talking about is, is the sort of emotional orchestral type of beat. Right, you know? exactly, yes. You know? Yes, so you have the ability, you have... Um, possibility left. There's stuff left in the tank. And you know, what I realized, like a lot of times I felt like, okay, well, why do I feel like I'm rushing a little bit here? I still, my groove is good. It's still funky. It's still greasy, but why is it rushing? And then I, then I started to think about things, and I'm sure you can really relate to this, because I really hear it in your playing. But you start to think about, like, 
eighth note triplets or let's say whatever dominant pulse of a song is or you just your eighth notes if it's a swing eighth note a straight eighth note or a new orleans eighth note um and then you start to think about those things and and you can compress those or you can open them up contract or expand and i realized like i didn't really like how i was feeling it wasn't the time it was like i felt like i was contracting my eighth notes or contracting the eighth note triplets and and I wasn't letting them breathe. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think you can mistake that for not playing like perfect time. But perfect time or, or perfect pitch is not... I, I think that, that that gets to be uh, monolithic after a while. Yeah. I knew, a guy, I knew a guy with perfect pitch and he, he was not happy. Right. Yeah, you exactly. Because he's sitting in an air conditioner it's like between C sharp and fucking right. D and it's fucking driving making me nuts. crazy yeah. yeah i mean i i have to say i go through like real uh, ocd stuff with uh-huh. intonation because i have really good relative pitch which i'm sure you have the same thing because it's all related to rhythms it's all it has nothing to do with anything but the rhythm of how two notes sound together yeah. man i have a real specific idea of a minor third and how a fifth is supposed to sound and i want my chords to sound exactly like they're supposed to sound uh-huh. and um and I execute it like seventy-five percent of the time. Uh-huh. But man, that other twenty-five percent of the time—that's hey, a good batting average, bro. Well, I guess it is. If it was baseball, I'd be good. <laughs> but man, sometimes you play you some get notes. You some baseball club. Yeah, yeah. Pulls, man. yeah, yeah you get some <laughs> I got a bat at home. But my front door. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. You know what I mean. It's this that whole thing is like, you know, you 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 can really really our society now really really likes to hold a microscope to everything but i think we hold a microscope to the wrong things yeah. you know and certain things like what to get back to what you're talking about when you have a band what is a band sound a band sound is three or four or maybe five different personalities and different approaches coming together and finding a middle ground mm-hmm. and creating a, a a vibe and a sound that's that's that none of them can do alone. Mm-hmm. Right, that right. Sense that, that's the, that, that is exactly the final thing I would say about two beats. Mm-hmm. He's got a good beat, he's got a good beat. Here they are playing, even though they're virtuosos, if, if they don't empathize mm-hmm. with each other, mm-hmm. they're not going to get to this beat. Yeah. And when yeah. you get to this beat, that's when this happens. Yeah. It's, you can't, one guy can't groove alone. He can have a good beat. Another guy can have a beat. A groove is something that's bigger than any one individual. Once two people in a band, usually it's the bass player and drummer, that's the old rule. But I mm-hmm. now go with the strongest guy that, who, where it's counted off and if, if that guy kind of plays this. You can bet your ass. My, my ride yeah, yeah, going to yeah, go with that. I said, bass player, you're on your fucking own. <laughs> this motherfucker up here, he's determined. Whoever yeah, he yeah, is, yeah. he's determined and he's kicking our asses. Right, you know, right. So I'm going with his eighth notes. Yeah, that's yeah. What, that's what, you know. And, and once, once two people gets their beats together and create this, that's... That's the, the magnet that yeah, will yeah. bring the rest of the band together because it's stronger than any one person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, people got to realize that they're not the music. Mm-hmm. They're only that really here to serve the music. They're only really here to play the music. The music's much higher than mm-hmm. them. It's not really them that are making the music. They're the <laughs> middleman. 
Yeah. <laughs> a musician is nothing but the ah, middle. So right. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And, You're so and, right. You gotta realize it. This is a song. This is a player over here. I gotta make him. My job is to make this band comfortable and, and try to make them sound good. Yeah. That's my yeah. job. Yeah. My job ain't to ain't up here, to get up here and, and you know, you know. Yeah, man. Sh- show what I yeah. can do because right. I am not up here. We are up here. Yeah. And you know, and, then, and I have become a part of we. Mm, mm. And that's when. When, a lot of surrender. Oh yeah, there's a lot of surrender, and and but there's also a lot of commitment because you know I find the worst music I ever play is when you lose that, you lose uh, the discipline of formation. Meaning, like you know, the Romans how they would have that right. formation where they'd have all these guys in front well, of shields. I read, I read books about this. Yeah, guy. and they'd be constantly recycling guys right. from the back to the front. Right. Or like the Spartans with their phalanx, where they'd have the. It's like when you decide, all the worst music I've ever made myself is always the part of the music where I decide, I, I'm gonna do it now. I'm gonna do, yeah, I'm gonna go out here, man. I'm tough, I'm gonna run out of this formation. I'm gonna whoop that big guy's ass out there. And what ends up happening every time you go, you whoop out a formation and you don't have any magic left, and that's it, you're done. And every time I hear some stuff that I hate about my playing, I just hate, it's always the same thing. It's what like, is that? it's always, oh, so so you're too good to listen to the ride symbol? You're, you're, what, your ideas are so special that you can't listen to the drummer's ride symbol anymore? You know what? No one's ideas are that special. Even if you're playing with who you don't, even if you're playing with the worst drummer in the world and you don't like his ride cymbal, I don't care. It's still better than the shit that you think you're going to play. So I'm sorry. You have to deal with that. And then in dealing with that, maybe you'll find a way to, to make it work. You know what I mean? But that's the thing. And you, you really hit the nail on the head. The worst music I ever make is always when I think that I'm, I'm like, my ideas are just so great. You know, and I listen back to it, it's just like, dude, that just sounds like someone like eating as much fast food as fast as they can, like without ever getting full. And like, kill, it's just awful. It's like human foie gras, you know? It's like, why, why are you doing that to yourself and to everybody else, you know? It's like, what's next on the list? You're gonna like light yourself on fire on stage? I mean, like how far are you gonna go with that, you know? But it's, it's also hard in an era like this where music becomes less and less in the ether than it was when you were a kid or even when I was a kid you know we're big, you were part of your community a musician yeah. it, it meant something you were uh-huh. you were there to tell the narrative of your community um, without words you know what i mean you were there to tell tell that story and now it gets much harder because there's so much less bandwidth for the musical uh-huh. and when you get your chance and you see it with the younger musicians playing when they get their chance it's like it's like a room that's filled with water up to the ceiling there's only the tiny little inch space where you can turn your head to breathe in it you know there's and 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 it's very easy to get swept up in that um, kind of a climate it's very very easy to yes. you know to not get the space where you, you feel like Hey, you know what? I, I need to take a breath here. Like you said, I need to take a breath and and really surf the wave mm-hmm. rather than yeah. trying to control the wave. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Just it's like going to the ocean and arguing with the tide and the waves. Like, no, bitch, I want to surf the wave the way I want to surf it. I know that. And I'm gonna like, tell yeah. you the timing that I, I want the waves to be. <laughs> I know. And they're gonna be exactly the same time. Every wave is gonna be the same size, and every wave is gonna come at exactly the same interval. So I will be ready. 
for my next run when the wave comes. <laughs> yeah. It reminds me, well, I'll be ready for the next note that the guy's going to play sitting next to me. Mm. Yeah. We'll define that. Uh, I, how I define that is that I, I, I try to always don't worry about playing the drums, try to not think about it too much, uh, find the sweet spots and stick with them. But how do I deal with it is I really listen to the guys that I'm playing with. Mm. Even if it's the same guys that I played with last night, even if it's the same song I played last night, mm. I might have played. I might get up on the bandstand uh, last night. We played. We might get up on the bandstand tonight. I said, "Wow, something feel funny." I look over at the bass player. Wow, why is he playing so far behind the beat? He never ever. He wasn't like that last night. Mm -hmm. Last mm -hmm. night he was all spunked up and chipper and. <laughs> Boom, boom, and I was laying back, and it was real cool. Tonight, it's like, come on, bro, you coming? You yeah. coming? And of course, because he just had a big argument with his girlfriend in the, in the parking lot before the gig. Mm -hmm. So he get up on the bench and go on one of these, you know? Mm -hmm. In the meantime, you look over at the piano player, and he's going, dang, dang, dang. He said, what the fuck's going on with him over there? Well, he had three donuts before the fucking right. gig. You know, he's fucking... <laughs> He's cracked up on sugar over right. the, oh, 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 on sugar over there. So I got to calm him down, pull him up, right. and I'm the drummer. That's yeah. your job as a drummer. Yeah, you yeah. don't go on a gig fucking thinking about drums, yeah. playing drums. <laughs> That's the last thing you need to be fucking thinking yeah, about when man. you go to play with a yeah, fucking band. Man. You yeah. got to be thinking about putting all these guys... Keeping them in a corral, mm. and this one beat is a corral, a mm. planet, and you just want to keep everybody floating on that. Every each beat is a planet. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I like to figure the fourth one is a slightly bigger. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> that because everybody's in a hurry to go to one. Yeah, you're so right. So you're that's so right. That, guilty, so that's guilty as charged. Guilty as charged. You know that it, it's a common thing. Oh yeah, it, yeah. Because it's the physics and science of the universe. The science of the universe is, is, is chaos. Right. That you know. Uh, that, that's why the old beboppers. You listen to the old beboppers. All a lot greater percentage of those songs speed up. Absolutely. But that's the nature of bebop. Mm -hmm. They start out, they create chaos, they create chaos, and then they back to the head. The thing is, you just you don't want the head to be so fucking crazy, that no, so fucking out of control that nobody can play the head again. Exactly. It's so so as a drummer, yeah. you want to be able to do that orchestral swelling that I was talking about before, yeah. Yeah. so there's solo, so you can... I'm still thinking about that head that we played in front. Right. I know we out front right, now. Right, I gotta right. figure out a way to get yeah, it back. So yeah. maybe I can, maybe I can. When it gets to the bass solo, maybe we can do this a little bit. Exactly, take you it know. down, mellow out. Yeah, because I don't want these guys yeah, to be yeah. trying to spit out the melody at the end. And exactly. it's all your fault. Exactly, you know. But Ain't you all know. my fault, motherfucker. Yeah, Y'all yeah. jumping on every note before you, <laughs> before kind of air's born. You know, and that's the thing is knowing that, like. You know, whenever they talk to the real good drummers, I remember reading an interview with Donald Bailey about you know all the all those great records he made with with Jimmy Smith, you know, and I mean, one of the quote unquote simplest players you're ever gonna hear, but man, he would put these little fills in places that were just so expert, and um, and he said they were like, well, how come you got that gig and not someone like you know Candy Finch or so on and so forth, you know. Uh, Billy Hardy goes well because I knew all the tempos you know what I mean and he knew the tempos he knew the right the melody exactly where every melody was supposed to sit most comfortably you know man another guy 
that to me is like if I could ever reach his level like to me like w one of my all-time favorite musicians a guy that I would like to base my whole approach on is Vernel Fournier and the way he played in that Ahmad Jamal trio and even in the George Shearing thing although the book was kind of stacked against him in certain ways it wasn't to his strengths really like I mean it, it's it's like the band kind of held him back that band but man just hearing the way he plays in that Ahmad Jamal stuff that is like to me if there's if there's any textbook perfect way to play music that to me is the way to play music perfectly you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. There's like a perfect amount of the groove. Sid, the times will go a little faster sometimes. They'll bring it in, but it's almost, it's so perfect. The the visceral and the intellectual, it's like a perfect balance of that, you know? So tell me some uh, Vernell. Did you ever study with him? Oh, no, he, he left, was he gone, he, right? Yeah, he left New Orleans when I, when I was probably, uh, you know, before I was 10 or oh, okay. maybe 10. Okay. Uh, I, I think and I think it had to do because he, he married a black lady, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and uh, back in the 40s and the 50s, uh, it was still uh, stupid down mm -hmm. there. I think that's the reason. Uh, I'm not quite sure. Uh, but... Uh, I, I I know it was for Earl Palmer. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. Left he got the city out of quick. Here. He said, yeah, yeah. Oh, I, "I can't handle this ignorance." Yeah. For first, he went up to Do Detroit and, and and got recognized. Then he moved went out to, to LA. LA. Yeah, and, yeah. And the rest is history. The rest is history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, but uh, Vernell, I only hung out one night at Bradley's in New York City with him. Okay. I went there when the gig first started. It was his gig. Uh huh. And I sat the little. Tiny table, right, right there. There's yeah, Vernell. Yeah. Here, here's where I'm sitting, just like this. Yeah, yeah. With my coffee. By that time, I had quit drinking and drugging, and uh, uh, you know, and I had my coffee and I had my water. You know, you know, and just fucking sitting there watching. When he got up, he turned around and I nodded. You know, and he nodded. You know, and uh, uh, and, and he said, "You mind if I sit right here?" I said. Please do. <laughs> and I said, my name's John from New Orleans. And and said, oh, wow. Yeah, and so uh, we started talking and drinking coffee together. He, he liked coffee, too. And he had and he was rolling him little cigarettes, uh, uh, like that drum tobacco. Yeah, 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 sure, sure. You know, a couple of pinches to the exactly, back. Exactly, you know, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and uh, and I watched all four sets, and at the intermission, he sat down at that table with me, and we talked. What did you guys talk about? I'm we sure you don't talked remember about, specifically. But. We talked about music. Uh, uh, we talked about women. We talked about music. Yeah. <laughs> And when we talked some well, about what did he have women. to say? Like, what, what were his opinions on? on? Uh, he, he was telling me all the guys that he loved, you know, and, and, and he was telling me uh, uh, experiences that he had on gigs with guys, you know, and some good stuff and some bad stuff. But you know, wow. it, it was all in generally. It was just a, uh, it was just a good hang, you know. Uh, I, I never asked him any kind of technical stuff about drums, right? Because I, I have to, after sitting behind him for three, three, three feet behind him for two or three, four hours, uh, uh, I, I could see that. 
technique and technical things was not part of his drumming. He was way more musical. Oh yeah. The band that he used on his gig, he would he hired the piano players, put your boys together, y'all play what you want. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's true. And so they just played him, you know, standards and mm, mm. piano bass, tenor and drums, you know. Wow, man. It was very nice and easy. Yeah. Very comfortable. Fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. What about, did you know Ed Blackwell? Nope, moved no, out. because no, he, he, he left same thing. He left really in the 50s, early, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. They all left around 50, maybe 60. So. He went out to California and didn't come back. Right, right. So, like in the, in the 60s and the 70s, when you really were, quote unquote, like on the scene. Late 60s. Yeah. You... Just talk about like what it was like back then for a young musician living in town. Did you have more work than you knew what to do with? I would say, uh, yes, because there's a lot of live music in town. At that time, they had maybe 18 bands, union scale, everybody getting paid, everything was on an up and up, down, up on Bourbon Street. They would have 18 bands playing, mm. you know, and nobody getting screwed for money. Money was going in the pension plan. The union and the mafia ran a French Quarter together, and it was perfect. Mm, mm. Nobody could go in the you. Nobody could come in there and say, hey, how much is he doing here, bro? I can do it for 100. Mm. Couldn't do that. You get your ass stomped. Because <laughs> the status quo worked for everybody. The union and the... That's right. Yeah. Exactly. And, and the union and the mafia... And the... Businessman, the businessman. Uh, it kept it that way mm. and, until uh, 70s when the right to work law passed, and then corporations started to buy stuff on Bourbon Street, and uh, the union didn't have any more power. Mm. You know, the union couldn't say no, you can't work there because it's a right to work state. Yeah, it happened and everywhere. And you could suggest that you don't hire that musician because he's not in the union, but they couldn't tell you not to. Mm -hmm. You know. And uh, as far as whether or not you're going to get your money at the, not, at the end of the night, they never signed any contracts. There were no more contracts. Mm. So you know, there were, nobody could get no broken arms. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's... <laughs> yeah. That sort of went down. But there were, you know... In my like, opinion, it was much better when, in the, you know, when the normal people... Yeah. Around here, took care of it exactly. as opposed yeah, to some yeah. bigwig who we don't know his name, and he's a billionaire because we only right. know millionaires' names. Right? You know, yeah, we, yeah. we know a few names of a few billionaires, mm -hmm. but they don't need to be. They don't need to have names. No, they don't. We need don't to. need to know who they are. Exactly. Well, they got millionaires to do that for them. Yeah. <laughs> the one, per, yeah, a friend of mine told me as we were talking, and he's he's a pretty brilliant guy. He was, I was saying, man. You know, it was about that time that Occupy Wall Street thing happened, the whole concept of the 99% and the 1%, which is very real. And his whole thing is, is, is it, it's not, he goes, the fight's not between the 99% and the 1%. It's between the 1% and the 2%. Right? That's pretty smart. So the 2% are going to start getting pissed off. Problem is, bro, millionaires just ain't happy enough being millionaires. They want to be billionaires. A million just ain't enough. Yeah, well, they don't. Man, I want to be a hundred air. Exactly. You know, yeah. I, want, I, I, want, I want to pick up this phone every day and go, Hi, Bernie, here's my code. You now have $57.89 <laughs> in your checking account. I'm going, fucking hell. <laughs> yeah, I know. But, you know, then you, you also see, 
in terms of times changing and you know what we were talking about earlier about you know the musicians being a important part of the community um you know we used to have a culture in which we did respect other wealth other than economic wealth uh-huh. now we're this culture that only has reverence for economic wealth that's the only kind of wealth that we have and that's very detrimental because so few of us have it and even if all of us had it it still is an empty empty existence and you know that's why you know I, I feel privileged and I feel lucky and and it's an honor to be a very tiny little link in a very long chain in this music thing that once you once you get in that world you know I mean I feel like you know talking with you is the generation ahead of me talking to people younger than me talking to you haven't talked to the generation before you it's a continuum you know and to me there is no greater wealth or honor than to be even the most minute part of that continuum there is nothing better yeah. There is nothing better. All the money in the world would not. I agree with would, you. Would have no, nothing compared to that. I feel the same. Exactly. But it sure is nice to not get behind in your mortgage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> On the other hand. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's, that's that's my basic thing, man. You know that mortgage thing. It's, it's helpful, man. <clears throat> but but the way we are, I would say, it's a f- rather than be popular and rich, <clears throat> it's just a far greater honor. To be notorious among your peers. <laughs> Amen. And on that, on that note, yeah, I, I think, mean notorious in a, in a yes, bond. yes, oh, yes. You know, noted. I, I know that. John, oh yeah. Yeah, John, yeah. yeah. I know him. No, he ain't got that I much money, him. but yeah, I know that motherfucker. Yeah, yeah. He can really play. Exactly. That's worth a million dollars. N- nothing more. I mean, when it, somebody comes up, man, you made my. I feel so good. Oh, you made yeah, my money. Yeah, oh, yeah, man, yeah. you wait. Oh, yes. Hey, wow. I feel yeah. like a doctor all of a sudden. Exactly. You know, exactly. I feel like I dished out the right medicine. Exactly. Or we dished out the yeah, right medicine. Yeah, and we did. Yeah. We did. And, and, you know, I mean, when I think about, you know, how lucky I am to, even when I was a street musician, like just scuffling from thing to thing, dude, I had the best people around me all the time, the most interesting, ambitious people, you know, and I never, a day did not go by, I've never been bored one minute. Mm-hmm. There's always something to work on. It never stops, right? I mean, we exactly. have this. This is a recurring exactly. theme we always have. But yeah. man, if I woke up and I was like, "Man, music sucks," this is never going to happen. The music business might suck. Um, you know, did someone else get something or this that? Bah, who cares? The music business, it, 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 it you know, it's a racket. Yeah, it's like, look, man, there's always going to be that stuff's always going to come and go and be up and down. But music and the important aspect of it will always be with us. I mean, it's easy for us to look at rose-colored glasses at someone like Louis Armstrong or Hank Williams or, you know, take your pick, Mozart, Bach, but those guys had to deal with an equal amount of bullshit, if not more bullshit than we have to deal with on it. They just did with different bullshit. And each, each new generation of musicians has different bullshit to deal with, and they have to figure out their own way and strategy to overcome that bullshit so they can take the music and hand it off to the next generation of people you know yeah so yeah i don't know yeah anything else you want to say singing like a lark baby (laughs) 
<laughs> it ain't nothing but a movie. It's your world. I'm just living in it. Dude, you wrote a great poem about playing drums. Ooh, it's fun playing the drums. Yeah. Uh-huh. Do you mind reciting a line or two from Ooh, it? it's fun playing the drums. Eating spaghetti, getting ready, going to the gig, feeling like a pig. Ooh, it's fun to play the drums. Stomachs full of music's fuel that makes the bouncing balls of sound and time go touching all over your skin. Ooh, it's fun to play the drums. Yeah! Thank you, Johnny. Yeah. Thanks, man. Thank you, Chess. A pleasure.